14th of July 2015. Michael Cardamoni is released on parole after serving around six years of a nine-year sentence for raping a 15-year-old girl. On the 12th of January 2016, just 182 days later, Cardamoni abducts and murders 49-year-old Karen Chikuti. What happened on that night would shock the nation. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Okay, so tonight I bring you a shocking story. This was supposed to be just a special edition with a few news stories, but then I started researching this case and I couldn't stop. So, two full episodes in a row and I will do two special editions in a row to follow. Anyway, again, it is another story of an offender that starts out with minor crimes and they escalate. Eventually, after committing a very serious crime, the offender is let out on parole and shortly afterwards escalates the offending to the highest level. Murder. As I've already told you in the intro, this is the story of the murder of Karen Chikuti. Karen was born the 24th of April 1966 at Mitcham in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne to Clary and Jan Verbunt. Karen was a city girl that ended up moving from Epping in the Melbourne suburbs to Warooli, which is around 275 kilometres or 170 miles northeast of Melbourne. Karen and her husband Tony Chikuti were the publicans at Waruli Hotel, which they sold in 1995. After having two children, Jack and Kate, the couple separated about 10 years later, with Karen staying in Waruli and Tony moving to Wangaratta. The kids would spend time between both residences. Apart from when her two children regularly stayed with her, She lived alone on her 10-acre property, just up the road from the pub she used to own. Karen was described as valiant, joyful and strong. She touched a lot of people. She touched a lot of hearts. She was very well liked and she was very well loved. She loved to sing, dance and loved life. She loved people. She was always there to help others. At the time of her death, she was employed in the records department at the office of the city of Wangaratta. On the other hand, Michael Cardamoni was born on the 19th of April 1967, the son of Italian immigrants. He was raised on his family's tobacco farm and was finished school at the level of year 12. Now that's about 17 or 18 years of age, for those of you unfamiliar with the Aussie schooling. Socially, Cardamoni's teenage years were difficult, and this led to drug taking. At 18 years of age, Cardamoni was found guilty of unlawful assault, and he was placed on an adjourned bond. Three years later, he committed the same offence and again received an adjourned bond. By the age 23, Cardamoni was convicted of various forms of theft in Wangaratta and Melbourne with non-custodial sentences imposed on him. So, I guess you can see where this is going, Islanders. And anyway... On the 1st of December 2006, in the Wangaratta County Court, Cardamoni was found guilty of threats to inflict serious injury and to kill, sexual penetration 
committing an indecent act with a child under 16, and rape. The total effective sentence was 10 years and 3 months, with a non-parole period of 7 years. On appeal, that sentence was reduced to 9 years, with a non-parole period of 6 years. He was sentenced as a serious sexual offender and to be registered as such for life. Now, I won't go into the disgusting detail of what he did to the 15-year-old girl other than to say he threatened her with a large wrench, raped her, and when the incident was over, he told this young girl that if she told anyone or if her boyfriend noticed anything, he would kill her and have her family killed. He said no one would believe her and threatened to kill her if she told anyone. Cardamoni said she had solicited sexual contact with him so that he could be blackmailed for money. Anyway, after the expiration of his non-parole period, he was released on parole by the Adult Parole Board on the 1st of November 2012. On the 20th of May 2013, his parole was cancelled after failing a drugs test, but he was released again on the 17th of March 2014. On the 9th of February 2015, his parole was again cancelled when he was charged with producing child pornography after the image of a six-year-old girl's butt was found on his phone. However, those charges were later dismissed and he was released again on the 14th of July 2015. On the 14th of July 2015, Michael Cardamoni is again released on parole after serving around six years of the nine-year sentence for raping that 15-year-old girl. During the police interviews over the rape, Cardamoni showed no remorse and constantly lied. Actually, it was quite possible that he could have got off, except for the fact that when the girl called her friends to tell them she'd just been raped, they told her to call police and not to have a shower and to collect whatever evidence the shit-stained Cardamoni had left behind. Police found his semen on her and her doona. He tried to say it was when he'd had sex with a prostitute a week before, but the doona had only been brought over to the scene of the rape the day before. The girl was able to describe the colour of his undies and that he had a wart on his groin. So, from assault to theft to rape, but he is let out on parole without any supervision other than his elderly 78-year-old mother at their property at 486 Waruli Bowman's Road, Waruli, which backed onto Karen's property on 519 Waruli Road. So for the next six months, Cardamoni tries to strike up a friendship with Karen, but she feels uncomfortable around him and largely ignores his offers of help on her property. Tuesday, the 12th of January 2016, was a hot day with the mercury rising to 37 degrees Celsius or 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. That morning, Cardamoni called Eddie George, who he'd known for about eight years. He lived in Myrtleford, about a 20-kilometre or 12-mile drive from Waruli. He called Eddie to score some meth off him. That evening, Karen went to her old pub, the Waruli Hotel, just 200 metres from her house, and drank some beer, spoke to her neighbour, Brian Gambold, and Graham Wood, the hotel publican. She left the hotel at about 7.45pm and drove the short distance to her home. After she got there, she had a meal and a glass of wine. At around 9pm, 
Cardamoni's mother Maria was looking for her son, but was unable to locate him on the property. At 9.09pm, Cardamoni called Karen's mobile phone, but she did not answer. Karen was on Facebook and her last known message occurred at 9.18pm. At 9.40pm, Cardamoni again called Karen's phone and it looks like she answered it as the call length was 1 minute and 6 seconds. Cardamoni again called Karen's phone at 9.55pm but it looks like that call was unanswered. So Karen is home alone as her kids are staying with their father at Wangaratta. Meth head rapist Cardamoni is calling Karen late at night and it looks like she picked up one call but ignored the rest. At this stage, because Cardamoni's mum can't find him, I reckon he's snooping around Karen's house which is backed onto his property. Now this is a rural area. If you look at the Google map, you will see that the houses are very far apart from each other. So what happens next is from what the prosecution alleged in court, from what evidence they were able to gather as Cardamoni changed his story multiple times to suit his circumstances. So between 9.18pm when Karen posts her last message on Facebook and 10.30pm when Cardamoni calls his friend Eddie, Karen is attacked, restrained with cable ties and duct tape, then gagged. She is then taken to a shed on Cardamoni's property and makes the 10.30pm call to Eddie. Cardamoni then took Karen's car to Eddie's place at Myrtleford to score more meth and then drove back to Waruli, arriving around midnight. In the early hours of the 13th of January, Cardamoni realised he would have to kill Karen and he needed to create some sort of cover for himself. He decided to drive Karen's car back to Myrtleford, leave it parked there, and then he caught a taxi back to his home. Cardamoni then put the incapacitated Karen into his four-wheel drive and drove towards Myrtleford, then onto Lake Buffalo, about 20 kilometres further south. At some stage, Cardamoni injected Karen with xylazine, which is a veterinary sedative, methamphetamine and battery acid. He then bashed her across the head, fracturing her skull, and it was probably with a metal bar. He then fractured six of her ribs while she was still alive, as there were signs of hemorrhaging. He then doused her with petrol and set her alight. Also, evidence shows at this stage Karen was still alive. The post-mortem reports puts this as the primary cause of death, coupled with the severe blunt force trauma to the head and torso. Cardamoni then ran over Karen's body in his Nissan Patrol four-wheel drive, causing injuries including fractures to her vertebrae, pelvis and scapula, which is the shoulder blade. Now, can I just jump to the psychiatrist report so the impact of what this scum Cardamoni did is clear. Dr Lester Walton, a psychiatrist, assessed Cardamoni on the 17th of July 2017. Dr Walton's report indicates that Cardamoni had no mental health problems of any consequence and there was no psychiatric or psychological condition that played any part in his offending. Cardamoni is not psychotic. Cardamoni has a history of polysubstance abuse, more recently heroin and methamphetamine. 
Similar observations were made in 2006. Clearly, Cardamone had no insight into his offending, then or now, and need to deal with his drug issues. So this scum had no mental health issues at all. He did what he did with the pure evil he had inside him. Okay, let me get on with the story. So Cardamone has just beaten the bound and gagged Karen Chikuti, set her alight after pouring petrol on her and run over her several times in his four-wheel drive. Cardamone then drove off towards Myrtleford. He was seen at a Caltech servo buying two cigarette lighters and it could be seen that he had no shoes on. Later, he took the Nissan Patrol four-wheel drive to a car wash and this took eight minutes. A few hours later, he returned to the car wash and again washed his car. In the afternoon, and this is still the 13th of January, he took the four-wheel drive back for a third time to the car wash, but this time he also washed and vacuumed the vehicle, paying particular attention near the driver's side door. Later that day, Cardamone was seen driving Karen's little red Citroen in Myrtleford. In the evening... Cardamone realised Karen had been reported missing and the police were involved. He approached police who were searching for Karen and he told them that he had last seen Karen when she asked him for a punnet of cherry tomatoes. He told them that Karen had come to his place at around 9pm to collect the tomatoes and that he knew it was 9pm because he had looked at a clock when she arrived. Now, police would find a punnet of cherry tomatoes in Karen's fridge, but they would only have Cardamone's fingerprints on them, not Karen's. So, he had placed them in her fridge to help support his alibi, but made a rookie mistake, as many do. After he spoke to police, Cardamone drove to Eddie the dealer's place in Myrtleford to score some more meth. He asked Eddie to assist him with a car, telling Eddie he was doing an insurance job for some drug dealers. Eddie agreed, and ultimately sometime after 4.30am on the 14th of January 2016, Cardamone took Karen Citroen to a location in Halls Road near Lookout Hill, where the car was later incinerated. Eddie was there as well, driving Cardamone's car. After torching Karen's car, Cardamone and Eddie left in Cardamone's Nissan Patrol. Karen's Citroen was destroyed by the fire. On the afternoon of the 14th of January, police went to Cardamone's address and he was asked to make a sworn statement about his contact with Karen on the night of the 12th. Cardamone told police how he spoke to Karen over the fence and invited her to come and pick up some cherry tomatoes. He said she gave him her mobile phone number. He then said she came to his house to pick up the tomatoes and that they'd had a big chat about farm stuff. He said Karen finally left at 9.15pm as he'd looked at the time. He then claimed that it was the last time he'd had contact with Karen. But as I told you before, she was on Facebook sending a message at 9.18pm. At 2pm on the 15th of January, three detectives spent about five minutes at the Cardamone's home, knocked on his door and checked around the back and garage. He wasn't there, as earlier Cardamone proposed to his mother and sister that they should go to Lake's entrance for a bit of a holiday. But shortly after starting the journey, he turned the car around and went back home. 
Obviously, Carter Money was feeling the pressure and decided it was better to stay close to the investigation so he could plan his next move. Later on, when Carter Money had returned from the aborted holiday, Detective Senior Constables Wallace and Dottermaid from the Homicide Squad had an extended conversation with Carter Money in regards to the disappearance of Karen Chikuti. Cardamoni denied having any knowledge of her whereabouts or what happened to her and complained that they were harassing him because of his prior convictions and the fact that he was on the sexual offenders register. He also complained that the local people were pointing the finger at him. He also told police he hoped they found her safely or the person who had done it. He also told police... I'm stressed out to the max. I haven't been sleeping. Now, I guess that's what happens when you're on a meth binge. Later in the day, journalists from the Age newspaper interviewed Cardamoni. He told them he had contact with her on the night of the 12th and that the person or persons who killed her must have been waiting for her when she went home. He also told them He had heard cars leaving at night and also saw Karen's red Citroen in Myrtleford. At this stage, her body had not been found, so it's strange that he knows she's dead. Now things really start to get strange. On the 16th of January 2016, at around 1.47pm, Cardamone rang his solicitor, Jeff Clancy, and told him that he'd been kidnapped by two Lebanese men and was being held in the boot of his car. Clancy rang the police and a description of the car was circulated Victoria-wide. Actually, Carter Money was in Melbourne in his white Holden Calais sedan withdrawing cash from ATMs, not in the boot kidnapped by Lebanese men. However, in the early hours of the 17th of January, police identify the car in St Kilda and attempt to intercept it. The car fails to stop and speeds off. The police pursue the car and call in the police helicopter, which tracks the car to Ringwood after it pulls over. Police catch up and arrest the driver. Of course, it's Cardamoni. He tells police how he was abducted by two Lebanese men and suggested that they must have killed Karen. He claimed what he could say about them and what they did was limited because he and his family were being threatened by them. He later told police that they had told him where Karen's body was and that he would assist the police with that information. Meanwhile, Police and volunteers searched the Lake Buffalo area for Karen's body because they had received information about possible scuff marks at the spillway area of the lake. Late in the evening of the 17th of January, police took Cardamone to Myrtleford after he told them he would show them where Karen's body was. He directed police to various off-roads, pretending to disclose the correct location. This went into the early hours of the 18th of January. While this was going on, Cardamone claimed that the two Lebanese men had showed him Karen Chikuti restrained in her own car. He claimed they threatened him with a gun not to say anything. He claimed that these two Lebanese men had told him how they killed Karen by burning her, bashing her with bars, running over her with the car and torturing her. Later, Cardamone suggested that because Eddie George had become involved with these men to get rid of the car, he may have been more involved. They failed to locate Karen's body. This Cardamone character is clearly delusional. I don't think it's because he's strung out on meth and probably haven't slept for days. I think it's just his fucked up personality that he's just 
pointing the finger at everyone else. Denial level 9000. At this stage, police tell Cardamone that Eddie George had made a statement concerning his assistance in helping him destroy Karen's car and that Eddie told them he was doing it for a drug dealer. Cardamone then abandoned the Lebanese story and told police he thought it was Eddie George that had killed Karen and that he was only a witness. I mean, you can't make this shit up. What the fuck was this guy thinking? This isn't the end of the weirdness. There's more weird shit to come. So Cardamone's new story is that he was not the one who knocked Karen and that it was all Eddie. He told them Eddie was at his place at Waruli when Karen was there having coffee. He said Eddie then placed the animal tranquilizer in Karen's coffee. Cardamone said Eddie then got into Karen's car and returned to his house with her in the boot. Cardamone said he killed her by running over her and that Eddie also tried to light her on fire. Police went over this story with Cardamone numerous times which frustrated him. Cardamone complained that Eddie, having murdered Karen, was now putting the blame on him. Cardamone told police that he would tell them the correct location this time on where Eddie murdered Karen and left her body. At this stage, it was the morning of the 18th. While preparing to drive Cardamone to locate Karen's body, searchers found her at 12.55pm, 35 kilometres or 22 miles from Myrtleford, in an area called Dandongadale. Police did not tell Cardamone that Karen's body had been found. Nonetheless, he did take them to the exact location. At the scene, Cardamone said he and Eddie removed Karen from the car, removed her clothing and gagged her mouth. Cardamone claimed that Eddie doused her with petrol and injected battery acid into her arm and ignited the petrol. She could be heard screaming through the gag. Cardamone claimed Eddie then reversed over her with the car and then pushed her off to the side. Her discarded clothing was located in the blackberries. A post-mortem was conducted on the remains of Karen on the following day, the 19th of January 2016. It was revealed that she had been given methamphetamine and xylazine which is a very strong veterinary sedative. The immediate cause of death was described as burning and the effects of fire, coupled with blunt force trauma to the head and torso. It was assumed the purpose of administrating methamphetamine was to make her appear to be a drug user, though she was nothing of the kind. On the 19th of January 2016, Michael Cardamone was charged with murder. He was held in custody at the Metropolitan Remand Centre. Here he became friendly with another prisoner that would be codenamed BC. At first Cardamone told BC that it was Eddie that murdered Karen, but later confessed that he had actually done it. Cardamone also told BC that he had had a sexual interest in Karen. He then proceeded to give BC a detailed account of what he did and why he did it. Cardamone also told BC that Eddie's only involvement was to help torch Karen's car. He also told BC he knew that Eddie was going to be a prosecution witness and that this was a big problem and that he wanted Eddie to be gotten rid of. Cardamone asked BC if he knew anyone who could, for payment, murder Eddie so he could not testify against him. BC told police this and so they set up a sting with an undercover operative they called Matty Thompson who would pose as the hitman. This Matty Thompson visited Cardamone several times while in custody and on the 6th of March Cardamone came to an arrangement that Thompson would murder Eddie and make it look like a drug overdose suicide. 
Thompson would force Eddie to write suicide letters confessing to the murder of Karen Chikuti. Cardamone told Thompson where he could find Eddie and agreed on the fee of $25,000. They also agreed that half would be handed over by Cardamone's 78-year-old mother, Maria Cardamone, before he did the job, and the other half on completion. Cardamone then instructed his elderly mother to withdraw $9,000 and hand it over to Thompson's colleague, who was actually another undercover cop. She did this on the 23rd of March. On the 29th of March 2017, Cardamone was informed that Eddie had been murdered and under the arrangement, Thompson was to supply him a photograph of Eddie deceased. Cardamone told him to show it to his mother. Police then intervened and arrested Cardamone's mother and charged Cardamone with inciting murder which has the maximum penalty of life. They also charge Maria Cardamone with attempting to pervert the course of justice. I'll just go over Maria Cardamone's trial for attempting to pervert the course of justice now. She would spend 141 days in custody and ended up being sentenced to time served and walked free from the court. The judge accepted the prosecution's submission that she was just a conduit for the money and did not know it was intended as payment for the murder of Eddie George. The Age newspaper at the time reported, She had been treated for depression since her husband died in 2014. Then on the day of her arrest, May 4, she was assessed by neurologist Nola Ross who found signs of the early onset of dementia. In a doctor's report it said, Mrs. Cardamone's history and presentation indicates apathy, a spontaneity indifference, emotional flatness, disorganisation, inattention, loss of insight, perseveration, poor judgement and irritability. Judge Mullally said he'd not lost sight of the gravity of the crime, but as a first offender at your advanced age, you are entitled to ask for and receive a measure of mercy. You came to the blinded view that Michael Cardamone was being falsely implicated, he said. You were vulnerable and malleable, and thus you engaged in a misguided and ill-conceived course of behaviour. In my view, this is one of those rare instances where an impaired mental functioning, though short of the legal definition of impairment, does operate to reduce culpability. Maria Cardamone was released into the care of her daughter, with the intention that she would go to Melbourne to live at an aged care facility. Okay, let's get back to Michael Cardamone. After denying he was responsible for the murder of Karen Chikuti, Cardamone eventually pleaded guilty. This was only after his mother had been arrested in regards to the plan to kill Eddie George. Because of this late plea, it did save a six-week trial. This was probably the only factor in Cardamone's favour during sentencing. In sentencing, the judge said, Given the nature and circumstances of the offence of murder, I have no hesitation in concluding that the total effective sentence I should impose on you is a sentence of life imprisonment. Protection of the community, denunciation and general deterrence are very significant sentencing factors. On the charge of murder, you are therefore sentenced to life imprisonment. On the second charge of incitement to murder, you are sentenced to eight years imprisonment. On the summary charge of breaching your parole, you are sentenced to the maximum penalty of three months imprisonment. On the minimum term of the sentence, the judge said, I've reached the conclusion that I should not fix a minimum term for the following reasons. Your offending was thoroughly unprovoked, extraordinarily violent and horrifyingly callous 
with a variety of means being employed to create terror and suffering in the deceased woman before her extremely painful death. Ms. Chikuti must have gone through an extended period of suffering before her death and in all likelihood spent the hours she was conscious expecting to be murdered. Every conscious choice you made between the hours of 9pm on the 12th of January and about 6am on the 13th of January 2016 was at the very high end of criminal culpability. Your conduct in the days after the offence, in which you began an elaborate attempt to escape responsibility by a variety of lies to police, demonstrated the complete absence of any form of regret or remorse for what you have done and complete disdain for the family and friends of the woman you murdered. Your attempt to arrange for the murder of the witness Eddie George not only gives an insight into your lack of regret or remorse for the murder of Ms. Chikuti, but is a crime which warrants significant punishment as an offence not only towards an individual, but threatening the system of criminal justice. This offending is a particular distinguishing feature of this case. Your plea of guilty was not an early plea and does not demonstrate your remorse. Whether it was to assist your mother, I'm not able to say. Its primary quality is its utilitarian value. I have weighed that value in arriving at your ultimate sentence together with all other relevant factors. But that does not mean that the only reasonable conclusion is that a minimum term before eligibility for release on parole must be fixed. Your more recent prior convictions from 2006 are very serious, most particularly those of rape and threats of violence towards a 15-year-old girl who was your sexual victim. That they do not include a prior conviction for murder serves as a point of difference where the court has declined to fix a non-parole period in other cases. But, as noted above, there are additional features of this case which must also be considered. Your reform or rehabilitation following those offences has been non-existent. You have demonstrated complete contempt for the rules and processes that sought to bring your sexual offending under control. At the time of these offences, you were on parole. You were on the sexual offenders register. You knew that your offending was linked to your drug use and that you needed treatment for that and yet you continued to use drugs and failed to take any genuine steps towards treatment. In my opinion, there is no evidence to indicate any significant prospect of rehabilitation on your part. You are 50 years of age and that is relevant in determining whether it is inappropriate to fix a non-parole period for you if sentenced to life imprisonment for murder. You are not by any means a youthful offender. So there you go, Islanders. Finally, the justice system has put this scum away for a very long time, and I hope he leaves prison in a box. Serial scumbag turned child rapist and then only 182 days after being paroled for that rape he's allowed to be put under the supervision of his elderly 78 year old mother who's suffering the onset of dementia and then he goes out and abducts and murders Karen Chikuti someone who's an asset to this community loved by many someone that had so many years to look forward with her family and friends. Okay, that's enough about that fucked hard. Let's hear about Karen a bit more. Now this is from the Waruli newsletter, February 2016. Tributes at her funeral were read, covering Karen's life from a young girl in Melbourne to meeting the man she was going to marry, Tony Chikuti from making the surprising decision to move to the country and take over the Waruli Hotel in 1993 
to her 20 years of organising the rural city of Wangaratta. From her love of her two children, Jack and Kate, to her love of her cows, her farm and her friends. There was laughter about Karen's exploits, about her early Madonna days, about her hate of roses, about her famous fat food Friday lunches at work, about requiring Barney's help to fix the flat tyre on her four-wheeler, about almost electrocuting Jody, and about her syringe-decorated Essendon birthday cake for Woodsy. At the end of the service, led by Tony, Jack and Kate, Karen was walked home to Jade Valley, followed by hundreds of her family and friends. On the 24th of April 2016, some 70 family, friends, work colleagues and community members gathered at the Waruli Recreation Reserve to acknowledge Karen's contribution to the Waruli Memorial Park Committee. The day was significant because it would have been Karen's 50th birthday. A tree, a Manchurian pear, one of Karen's favourites, was planted by her children, Jack and Kate. The tree was kindly donated by Greg Hasem. A plaque was unveiled reading, Karen Chikuti, 24th of the 4th, 1966, to the 18th of the 1st, 2016. Treasurer, Waruli Memorial Park Committee, valued committee member for nine years. Sadly missed. A sister tree, also donated by Greg Hasem, was planted at the Waruli Hotel on the back road side on the same day, recognising Karen's link to the pub. I'll read out one more obituary. Karen was part of my inner circle of local government information management specialists. We shared many a trial and tribulation over the challenges of record keeping. She was always unfailingly supportive and helpful and what stays with me the most is her gorgeous smile that lit up her entire face and her kind, lilting voice. I will miss our regular chats on the phone and via email. I will also miss seeing her many happy posts on Facebook which had become, without me being aware of it, an important part of my everyday virtual life. I was always so pleased to see what a great time she was having with her family and friends. My deepest sympathy to her family, friends, local community and colleagues at Wangaratta Council. Leanne So, you think you can move out of the Sydney to the safety of the country? The fact is... The people like Maggot Cardamoni are everywhere. Unluckily for Karen, one lived right next door. Prison and parole in general are there to rehabilitate offenders so they can be released with safety into the general population. It reminds me of the scorpion and the frog. A scorpion and frog meet on the bank of a stream and the scorpion asks the frog to carry him across on its back. The frog asks, How do I know you won't sting me? The scorpion says, Because if I do, I will die too. The frog is satisfied and they set out. But in midstream, the scorpion stings the frog. The frog feels the onset of paralysis and starts to sink, knowing they will both drown. But just has enough time to gasp, Why? The scorpion replies, It's my nature. So Karen's friends and family have to deal with the loss of their loved one and even Cardamoni has wasted his life for what? It was always in his nature to be bad, even to the extent of blaming others for his misdeeds and even involving his 78-year-old mother. Okay, that's enough said on that case. Shocking and tragic. So always at the end of the show, we'll have a big shout out to all past and present patrons of the island. As you may be aware, I finally purchased the new island PC to replace the dead one. And that's what I'm recording on tonight. You too can support the island for as little as a dollar a month. 
True Crime Ireland is totally listener-funded and I will remain commercial-free and continue to put out shows weekly. If you want to join the Patreon Club, just go to www.patreon.com forward slash Island. You can also do a one-off payment via PayPal and you can do that by typing paypal.me forward slash Island. And a big shout out to Amy for donating this week. As I've said, we will get the cryptocurrency coming soon. If you want stickers or koozies, which are stubby holders, you need to email me directly. And again, my email is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. And I can price it up for you according to postage. I do have some left, so be quick. Once they've run out, I can make some new ones with new design. Well, how about a Boomfuckalunga beer cooler? Anyway, make sure you provide me with your current address as your PayPal one, that may be out of date, so just check that. All other merch, such as T-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs of rage, and all that stuff is at the shop, which is truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Now, there's links everywhere on my website, which is truecrimeisland.com. There's links to Facebook, iTunes, the merch shop, all that sort of stuff, and to Patreon. Again, you do not have to spend money to support the show. You can rate, review, and share the love. The more people who know about the show, the better. If people don't know what a podcast is, then show them the way. In fact... The Australian Podcast Awards will be held in May. If everyone that listens to the island were to vote for the island as people's choice, then we, as an island, will win it. Please go to the AustralianPodcastsAwards.com where you can vote for the popular vote. Let's see if not only we, as an island, can get into the top ten, but let's see if we can get to say Boom Vakalanga on stage accepting the award. So I'll say that again. It's the AustralianPodcastsAward.com. Go there, vote for the popular vote, vote for Boom Vakalanga. You can also join the Facebook group. Just search for True Crime Island and you can join in the chat. Don't forget to check out the Twitter and Instagram on the and the island handle is at True Crime Island. You can join in the chat there and there's many other podcasts you'll fi- find on there as well and hi to all the followers. A shout out to James, one of the listeners. He's told me of his threadless shop for his t-shirt designs. It's lifesouldestiny.threadless.com. Thanks James for all the support. Well, that's about it for tonight. I also have at the end of the outro mu- music the Boom Fuckalunga Boogie by Michael Gerlach. Now, he's from insightondisability.com. Go there and have a listen. You'll find some very good stuff. So, this has been Cambo, and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Vagalanga, boom 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 Vagalanga, boom Vagalanga, boom Vagalanga, boom 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 Vagalanga. Boom Vagalanga. Vakalanga.
Boomfuckalunga in your face. Boomfuckalunga. Kama Kama Achana, Boom Vagalanga. And a mug of boom fucker is coming your way. And you know what that means. Boom fucker Boom fuckalunga, people die. Boom fuckalunga, boom fuckalunga. No, no, they didn't. I just made that bit up. Let's hope the karma bus goes boom fuckalunga and picks up Atkins on its way to fuckity fuckland. <laughs> 